company and welcome back to another episode of the man in the lion mask podcast and uh sort of the second half of our season preview um ahead of the the season which starts on saturday obviously and um, we've spoken about exeter already um but we're, we're going to take a, a sort of a broader look at league two in this this episode um so as always i'm joined by by dom today but we're also uh welcoming uh, gabriel sutton to to the podcast as well welcome gabriel Thank you very much, Dan. It's lovely to see you both. How have you found pre-season? Yeah, I'm, um, I can't wait for, for the next season, to be honest with you, Dan. It's, um, it's felt like a bit of a whirlwind, really, because, you know, we had last season where it went ahead and, you know, I suppose I'd rather like, the 2021 campaign went ahead than, than not, because um, you know, it gave, gave me a bit of work to do, I suppose, and gave people something to think about and talk about. But it's not the full product. It's not um, football at its finest without supporters. So I can't wait for this Saturday. Um, you know, you look at clubs like AFC Wimbledon, they're going to be playing um, I think yeah, yeah. Saturday after where the first ever game pretty much at the new player lane. That's going to be amazing. So fans in stadiums cheering their team on. That's what football's about for me, and I think that's what this season's going to be about. Definitely, I kind of feel like there's definitely that kind of hype building now, as as fans are sort of looking forward to get back into the stadiums. I think that regardless of of sort of whatever whatever your team's sort of first result is, win, lose, or draw on that first day, it's going to be uh, it's going to be something quite special to to get back in, and hopefully we're going to see some bumper crowds this season as well. So so yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Great, let's crack on then, um, because we've brought you on here to talk everything League Two, um, and well, it, it, this is this is quite a welcoming, quite a welcoming place for you to come this season, uh, Gab, with uh, with your prediction for Exeter to finish top of the tree this year. I think you had us as down as fourth last season as well. So, so yeah, I mean, you're you're backing Exeter to go to go on better this time. Sort of talk us through your reasoning for that, and and sort of how you came to the conclusion that. The Exeter are going to be the best team in the league this season. Well, I think when um, when I'm picking teams to go up automatically, I I'm not very easily caught up by finish by teams that finish mid table or in bottom half the previous campaign and have just spent loads and loads of money and or appoint a new manager and just assume that everything's going to be fine again. So I like to go with teams that. Ideally, have some stability in the dugout, have some uh, stability as a club that are well run, that have um, a stable squad as well. And I feel like Exeter City tick a, uh, tick a lot of those boxes. They're very um, loyal to managers. Um, you know, I think there's probably a section of Exeter fans that would say that's not exclusively a good thing, given that Paul Tisdale was quite a divisive figure towards the back end of his time, and, and maybe Matt Taylor even to an extent as well. But I like the fact that Exeter City give uh, put a lot of faith in in, in managers, and um, I've got a lot of faith in Matt Taylor as well. I like the way he speaks, and uh, I'm just hopeful that after an eighth place finish last season, uh, lots of revenue coming in with um, obviously the, the add-ons as part of the deal to Ollie Watkins, I think, and um, a couple of things like that. I mean, the club is working with a lot more money than it has done previously. I'm feeling good about the region. Yeah, and actually, there's been some sort of um, not consensus, but there's been some sort of agreement amongst um, various pundits and podcasts around League Two. So, not the top twenty pod had Exeter down as finishing second. D three D four podcast um, down as third. The ninety two Bible um, down as eleventh. So, a bit of an outlier there. Dom, I think that we had uh, Exeter City down as finishing. Well, maybe a bit better than we were last season, sort of sixth or seventh this season. Not what do you make of, uh, of Gab's prediction for top of the lead? Playoffs again, unfortunately, I just feel like we've not got that kind of, uh, not kind of got that that ruthless streak that 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 sides who finished in the automatics have. I don't know what you think, Dom. Yeah, I think I had us down as. I had us down as like getting into the playoffs mainly because um, last season we we scored a lot of goals. Don't get me wrong, but we did kind of end up stumbling over ourselves and kind of like drawing too many games. And I think that's what cost us. Like Dan says, that killer instinct almost weirdly cost us in the end. With 
Bowman leaving and uh, that puts a lot of pressure on Matt Jay to, to replicate what was an outstanding season. Don't get me right. And I fully believe he, I, I hope he can anyway. New signing, um, Sam, Sam Norm, whether he beds in quickly enough. I know he's got, well, he was in the championship last season. Um, and he's got League Two scoring, League One scoring, League One scoring, um, kind of like chops. But I, yeah, we, I thought, mm, yeah, not to rate. Maybe we're setting the bar a little high, a little low to be kind of surprised and hopefully surprised by it. But um, yeah. I, I just could I just couldn't see us getting into those automatics. But to be fair to to yeah, but I, I think that we've we've quite clearly got a better starting eleven than what we had last season. I think that you know you talk about those those games where we we drew that we should have really won. Um, so many of them sort of one or two all draws where we scored, but just didn't have that defensive solidity to to see games out. I think we're much better in defence this season. Cameron Dawson in from Sheffield Wednesday. I know that he's got a lot of stick from Sheffield Wednesday fans, but he's he's a real top class goalkeeper for for League Two. Sam Nom is is you know he's obviously tasked with with uh, replacing those those goals that we've lost from Bowman, but but uh, you know all, all the signs are there that he's he's capable of doing that. The only area that I think we might be a bit weaker is in central midfield, especially with Archie Collins looking like he's he's going to miss the start of the season through injury. And maybe there's a question about squad depth there. But I mean, certainly it looks like we've got a better starting eleven than what we had last season. What do you think about that, Gab? Yeah, I um, I feel like the, the loss of Jake Taylor is uh, is potentially quite a big one. I think there's a feeling that maybe he's been a little bit underrated perhaps over the last um, few years, but obviously family reasons played a part there. Um, I think Arch Collins' injury could be a problem because as much as um, you know, we've talked about Matt Jay, Don talked about Matt Jay even, um, about the, the creativity and quality he can provide between the lines. But I, I, I look at the, the potential starting 11 for the opening game. And, you know, the idea of Nigel Ashton-Garner and Timothy Dieng as a central midfield pairing probably doesn't inspire me uh, massively. That's not to say, I've actually been very keen on Nigel Ashton-Garner. I think he's probably been one of the most underrated ball winners in League Two over the last seven years. Um, but at the same time, I think that he has limitations as well. So you'd ideally want to partner him with and Archie Collins, someone who can provide a bit more of a creative side to things. And I don't really see an alternative option in this current Exeter squad um, if Collins is, is injured. So I think that's probably an area where Matt Taylor needs to strengthen. But listen, there's a long way left to go in the, in the transfer window. And I do see um, Exeter making the, uh, the additions that are required, especially with the funds that are available. Yeah, certainly. Um, we can... We can talk about uh, Exeter in, in a bit more length um, towards the end of the pod. I mean, I know that we've got um, some, not breaking news necessarily, but but certainly some some transfer updates that we need to need to chat about. But let's talk about the rest of, of League Two then. Um, and you've gone with Forest Green Rovers and Newport as the other two to join Exeter um, in the automatic uh, promotion positions this season. Certainly, Forest Green Rovers, I can I can see. Uh, they were, in my opinion, one of the best sides to watch last season. Newport's a, a funny one. Um, what's, what's your thinking there? I mean, you've already spoken about kind of teams that you fancy that have sort of a stable, um, stable, stable sort of core to them. You know, Flynn's been there for, for a really long time and has done such a good job. But what's the thinking of including them in, in third position? Because they've had a, a fair amount of squad turnover this season and lost some really key players. Squad turner, I don't know. Uh, they've lost Josh Sheehan, which is obviously a big blow, and, and I think replacing that creative element, um, I suppose a bit like uh, Exeter with Archie Collins being injured, that's obviously going to be a challenge. 
having said that, I do like some of the additions that Newport have brought in. You're looking at uh, Cameron Norman uh, is a very sort of attack-minded uh, right back who they've added. I think he had a spell before uh, in his career at, at Warsaw. Um, they've got Christopher Masilu. Christopher Masilu. Excuse me, I don't think that's a bad replacement for Josh Labathy, who has gone to Warsaw. Um, he's a, a very dynamic, all-action midfielder. Um, they've brought in Finnazaz, who um, I would hope could provide some of the individual creativity in the absence of Sheehan. Joe Day is obviously a legendary goalkeeper. They've added a couple of forwards who can address the physicality issue. And they've got players staying on from last season, like Mickey Demetrio, who's a stalwart at the back. Lewis Collins is a, a forward live wire. I expect to get better, especially in terms of productivity. May Doolin, who is a very good halfback, if you remember from your games against them last season, in the middle of that back three and carrying the ball out. I think... Uh, you know, yes, they've lost Sheehan, but I still think that, um, you know, that some good players are remaining from last season, and I think they've added well to that. So I've got a lot of faith in Michael Flynn. I like the stability at the club, and uh, I see them I see them going one step further. Dom, Forest Green and Newport, I mean, obviously, there's kind of a, a running theme of Exeter and Newport having um, lost all of the playoff finals in the last five years um might even be six years actually um what do you think what do you think about gab's predictions that that forest green and newport will be joining uh, exeter city in league one season after next i think like i definitely agree with um like forest green i think they're i i think them uh well they they are going probably going to go up automatically i agree with their newport yeah, I can I can see it, Newport. Like maybe this is the year for them. Like I agree with like a lot. Well, mo- everything that Gab said basically. I don't <laughs> want to like kind of harp on, but like I just I'm just kind of always intrigued by Gab's got Mansfield in fourth, and mm-hmm. is this the year that Mansfield actually kind of almost pull it together? And after a few a few years of buying up nearly every forward that's on the market, is this the year that? They kind of like make things happen. Um, I, maybe I can see I can see that. Um, Salford in eighth intrigues me, Gab, because um, obviously there's always talk about Salford and yeah. um, and stuff. Um, what what have you got? How come you've got them down down there? Because a, a lot of people are kind of saying, oh. They're gonna. It's Salford's year, up into up into League One. You can't ignore like this is it basically. Well, if um, if Salford City was starting this season with Richie Wellens in charge, I would be strongly pro Salford because um, that I liked Wellens. I think they got rid of him too quickly. Personally, I think he was trying to introduce um, an expansive possession-heavy style. And I believe that that sort of thing, after the direct methods of Graham Alexander, needed time. Salford weren't prepared to give him that time. They've since flipped back to the conservatism of, of Gary Bowyer. And if you look at actually the number of shots they've taken under Bowyer in his time in charge, it's kind of comparable to Grimsby and South End in that period who were relegated. So, um, that, that that's the worry for me. I think that Gary Bowyer likes his teams. Um, I think he went with a four four two in his time there. He might go to three five two this season. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but certainly I think there's a a question whether he's going to let Salford off the leash a little bit. Similar themes really to their their time under under Alexander. And I think that when you've got the amount of quality that Salford have, and especially if you don't have um, a really strong physical target man that's really good at holding the ball, which I don't think Salford have. You likes of Ian Henderson and Colin McAllany. They're not really the most physical forwards. I see that being the style of play being a real issue for Salford, and that's why I have them missing out. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Gavin. I think that most of of League Two um, would would agree with you on on sort of your sentiments on Richie Wellens. I. I I think everyone was a bit shocked when when they let him go, um, and it you know it was a risk. Um, 
that ultimately didn't pay off and and well you've you've clearly got it as down as not paying off again this season as well mm. um i mean speaking of of highly tipped teams who you've got missing out on the playoffs just below Salford you've got Bristol Rovers as well now Bristol Rovers obviously bringing lots of players in this summer issues off the pitch as well which we won't go into but um many people tipping them for for automatics this season if not to to win the league outright um why have you got them so low well, I think if, um, in terms of the squad of players, um, on that alone, it's more than capable of pushing for automatic promotion. You look at players like Paul Coots, uh, a really technical midfielder like Mark Hughes. Um, they've got Brandon Hanlon as well. He's very athletic forward. Um, lots of very good players potentially at this level, but um, I think it's just the uncertainty over the managerial situation that's unresolved. And I do see that that having an impact on on the morale. So um, that's why I've got Bristol Rovers missing out. No, no, that's fair enough. And and yeah, I think that that's you know we've seen time and time again that when when there's questions kind of over over managerial positions and sort of off the pitch um, goings on, it, it does it does ultimately creep onto the pitch and. Uh, and yeah, team struggle as a result. And um, one one team that you have got getting into the playoffs, and a lot of people start courses for this season are Stevenage. Obviously, got two former Exeter City players there in, in Jake Taylor as a recent recruit, and uh, Jamie Reed as well, who's come come in from Mansfield. Dom's uh, Dom's old uh, line there about the Mansfield buying every forward and going every summer. Um, but they've let him go to, to Stevenage and, and you've got them creeping into the playoffs this season, which is an interesting one, but a, a kind of a bit of consensus building about them being a dark horses this season. Yeah, I think that's quite a popular pick. It's funny you mentioned Jamie Reid. I remember watching him play when your lot won the Devon Derby at, um, at Argyle. I think they were... Um, they were league leaders at the time and I think they were, you know, they had Brent Carey and they were probably expected win and then I think Jamie Reid was a bit of a surprise start if I remember rightly um, and you're like I think Ryan Harley scored a couple of goals um, so yeah that, that, so that was uh, that was one game I really enjoyed watching but um, I think there's maybe question marks about Jamie Reid now, nowadays as, as a league two centre forward no question marks of course over his work ethic um, I think that's probably the one area that I'm not 100% sure on Stephen if you top but the rest of the squad I'm very keen on. They've got a goalkeeper on loads of West Ham called uh, Joseph Nang, who's got very good reviews. We'll have to wait and see how that um, translates into, into league form. Um, they had probably one of the best defences in the league last season that's sticking around. They've obviously added Jake Taylor to a pretty strong set of midfield options. So goalkeeper, defence, midfield all look strong. Are they going to find the goals? I'm kind of gambling that they're one of Norris, Reed. Or uh, or James Bailey can can find the goals they need, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that one. No, that's that's fair enough. And um, personally, my dark courses have gone slightly different. I've gone for Leighton Orient this season. Um, who again, a lot a few people are starting to to take notice of. Obviously, they've lost those goals from from Danny Johnson. Ironically, also going to Mansfield. Um, but they've they've been quite quite smart in the in the transfer market as well. You've got them down in thirteenth, but could you see them creeping into the into the playoffs? Well, what was interesting to me is um, the reason I had them in the bottom half was um, I'm not sure about their options up top. They've got Anna Arundrin and who didn't do particularly well in the division with Ipswich, and their only real target man is Harry Smith. So, uh, again, probably didn't get the most glowing of reviews from Northampton fans. And given the way that Jacket plays historically with lots of direct direct play um, or football encourages, it generally revolves around the target man. So if you've got a striker that's big, strong, tall, but is also reasonably mobile and can hold the ball up well with, um, with good ability on his, um, with his feet, that's generally a massive part of making a Kenny Jacket side successful because so much of his side's games revolve around that target man. And if you've not got the right centre forward, which I'm not convinced Leighton Orient have, that can hold you back a little bit. Having said that, 
since I made the prediction, it has to be said that some of the football Orient have played in pre-season has actually been quite um, quite easy on the eye, actually, surprisingly so, you might say, in terms of the way they've popped around. And um, that might give Orient fans some encouragement that maybe they can play through other areas of the team and look to, to utilise, you know, maybe the better areas of their squad. No, that's, that's fair enough. Well, definitely ones to, to look out for this season um, dropping down the league slightly there um, we've got Colchester in 16th um, mm. lots of uh, it's almost like an Ipswich reunion in Colchester this <laughs> season um, but um, but but yeah like they've got quite an optimistic fan base this season I don't know Dom if you you want to come in on uh, on some dark horses this season Colchester Leighton Orient and, and Stevenage have been fancied are they the ones that take your eye or, or does someone else kind of take your fancy well I quite I actually quite fancied Colchester until um was it today that it got announced that Poku had gone to Peterborough so until until Poku left I think Colchester was my kind of like dark horses to get at least to be trouble in the playoffs um I always feel that I've always got that nagging feeling with Colchester that they're just a tough team at this level and they're always going to be there or thereabouts, whatever. Every season they emerge somehow. Um, kind of like Exeter, to be honest. But Poku leaving kind of does kind of take the shine off it for me. But um, yeah, I'd have to have a, I'd have to have another think. But like, yeah, Colchester was the one... Um, I was going to jump on that bandwagon. But um, yeah, now that... Now that Poku's gone, I'm gonna have to have a gonna have to have a rethink. I think what I would say about Colchester is that they did have a run last season of one win in 25, uh, which, albeit you know they um, Hayden Mullins came in and Paul Tisdale actually as well as as a, as a advisory role, um, that did have a bit of an impact for them and they were able to steady the ship. But I think to go from a season where you've just had one win in 25 to challenging the playoffs, for me, is a bit of a stretch. Having said that, I do, and for similar reasons, I admire Exeter in the way that you run as a, as a club. I like Robbie Cowling as a chairman. Probably not everyone does, because I think a lot of Colchester fans might want him to have maybe pushed the envelope a little bit more at times. But I like that he's invested in the Youth Academy, in the under-23 squad, uh, they make a lot of signings for, for, for the under-23s and um, I think that that can help them sort of long-term um, and I do feel that they're a club that because of the prudence of, of Robbie Cowling are well-placed to kind of gradually come out of the pandemic in a decent position. Uh, I'm not sure that that unnecessarily manifests itself this season. I think it's maybe a little bit further down the road. So I've got Colchester stabilising in, in the table. Great. So, so moving down then, um, and perhaps another controversial pick here, you've got Swindon to stay up, Gab. Um, yeah. I mean, we've seen all sorts of, all sorts of off the off the pitch worries um, with with Swindon. They've just come down from League One, financial issues. Um, obviously, managers signing on, and then you know a week later leaving the club. Pierce Sweeney even signing on and then coming back to Exeter a couple of weeks later. Yeah. Um, they've they've really kind of got a very much a core squad there. Um, there's there's not much depth, but you have got them just missing out on relegation um, and finishing in, in 22nd there. Um, personally, I think that they're probably going to finish rock bottom this season. But but why why have you got them? Um, well, I, I missed I miss the end of your question there, but I think it just... To, I assume you're asking me why I've put them in the relegation zone. And I think for me, um, the Clem Morfuni's completed a takeover, which means that there should be some money coming into the club between now and the end of the window. I would imagine that, um, I mean, they've already got lots of some decent calibre players on trial. I imagine they're working hard to do some deals and really put together a squad that's competitive at this level. Um, I think that survival is the aim. I think that if a lot of Swindon fans were offered 22nd to them now, they would they would take it. But um, I would have had them going down, no questions asked, if we're at this stage and the takeover still hadn't gone through, because obviously what they have now isn't enough uh, um, to, uh, to stay up. But um, 
I do expect a lot of good additions to come in. But then on the flip side to that, it's difficult to be particularly bullish, bullish about a squad that doesn't yet exist. So I think balancing those two things, I think 22nd is a fair prediction. So I think they'll just stay up and um, and then maybe the 2022, uh, excuse me, 22-23 season is the one where they can really start to push on towards that top half and, and the playoff places. Yeah, I mean, obviously Swindon, two seasons ago, um, they were one of the most impressive sides that I've ever seen in League Two. Um, ran away with the league almost before it was curtailed, um, and and the league awarded to them on the the points per game. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's quite a shame to sort of see them fall apart like that. Um, but it is Scunthorpe and Oldham that you've got to 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 eventually go down. Dom, are those the two sort of sides that you'd have picked here, or would you have gone for a different pair to to eventually drop into the national league? No, I can kind of, I think, I think there was a, for me, there was quite a few teams who kind of could have been around there. Swindon would have been one until, like Gab said, until the, the takeover, whether the takeover happens, whether they can get the signings in, like Gab said, um, quickly enough and then bed the team down. I, unfortunately, it's the kind of financial situation in, in League Two is that, you can almost guarantee that at least one or two teams are going to be either in or on the cusp of some kind of financial calamity. Um, so you kind of almost have got to be the last man, try and be the last man standing while the rest of your like um, badly run colleague, like teams kind of mess it up before you do almost. Um, I think... I, I can't really, yeah, I can't really argue with Gab about Scunthorpe and Oldham. I, yeah, Swindon, like Byron Hartlepool. Um, I think Rochdale might do a little better than that, but I'm not, maybe that's just me having grown up five miles from the ground, kind of some kind of local, like kind of like my heart's, not not ready for Rochdale to go all the way out of the National League um, just yet, um, but yeah, I can't like I can't really argue with Gab to be honest. I think with Rochdale, um, I think probably they've got quite a good first eleven still coming down from the National League, but in terms of depth, it's no, they're nowhere near it because. Um, actually, the previous CEO, who now thankfully is gone, a guy called David Bottomley, who Don may know, uh, was extremely unpopular with with Rochdale fans. Um, despite his exit, he he was the one who chose to um, release the successful youth team that I think won a won a cup of some kind, and I think that means that even with um, a squad light on sort of senior players it's going to be even harder for them to find that extra depth where they need it. And that's why I think it'll be a challenging season. I think it's a big month for them ahead in terms of transfer with window. Um, I'm not sure if they'd probably get back to sell uh, Ollie Rathbone to Rotherham. Not quite sure what the fee is. You'd hope that it's around 500000 and that'll give them a little bit of money to be able to reinvest and kind of maybe add out their squad a little bit. But um, there's a lot of transition. They've got a new board in place at the moment. Um, a lot of them are fans, which is quite good, but at the same time, I think it'll be a bit of a learning curve for them, which is why I see it being a, a transitional campaign, possibly towards the bottom six. Fair enough. And that wraps up all of League Two then. Um, thanks for coming on, Gab, for that. But let's turn our attentions back on to, to Exeter for a little bit. And um, some news coming out of um, out of the, the football Twitter sphere, as it were, um, in the last few hours. Um, news that I think all Exeter fans eventually kind of uh, gear themselves up for about players leaving, but it's Joel Randall this time. We've seen rumours before about Josh Key potentially leaving to Sunderland. It's Joel Randall this time, and just like Kwame Poku, it's Peterborough um, that looks like the destination for Joel Randall this time. Dom, what do you make of this one? Um, I think that we all knew it was coming eventually, but a week before the season starts, probably isn't the ideal timing. Yeah, and it's a strange one. We've I already mentioned that Poku has signed for Peterborough as well. Um, they're obviously loading up in that kind of attacking wide um, midfielder forward kind of position. 
it's we maybe we spoke too soon on the the preview pod that we kind of intimated that we thought we'd we'd kind of kept hold of our our young core um and then since then you know there's big Joel Randall rumors and there's big Josh Key rumors as well um so it'll be tough to see him go especially with the season about to start but this is life in League Two almost. Like, he's too, like, at the moment, he's a really good League Two player, if not a, a, a good kind of, like, League One player. Like, I would say he's he's not, he's not higher than that at the moment. He's obviously got the potential to, to like, be, like, more than that. But seeing... I think Peter would probably be a good move for him if, if only, just like just to play that higher higher level and test himself. It's yeah, it just comes at a pretty bad time for us to be honest. Yeah, the timing's probably the worst thing about this, and I think that the other the other thing that's really kind of gutting if this does um, actually happen is that fans haven't actually got a chance to properly see him play for the club. Um, I think it might be a bit easier to to take if we just got sort of half a season of seeing him in a City shirt. But um, I, I guess this is the process. We develop players that are good enough for, for League Two um, and even beyond League Two. Um, and, and eventually, um, if they do end up being of that, that standard, then they will leave. And that's how we've managed to get... Harry Lee and Sonny Cox to sign contracts because if we tie Joel Randall down to his contract and refuse to let him go, just like if we'd have done it to Ollie Watkins, Matt Grimes, etc., etc., those players wouldn't have had that same kind of um, pathway into the the higher echelons of, of the football pyramid, and maybe they wouldn't sign those contracts with us in the first place, and we wouldn't be able to even get the financial benefit from them. So this is the this is the process, um, and I guess it's it's just what happens, but the timing isn't ideal. Joel Randall to Peterborough, Gabriel, what's, what's your mm. thoughts on this one? Well, I, I think a lot of Exeter fans seem to be um, quite worried about the impact that this has, and I can understand that because, listen, first half of last season, especially Joel Randall was... I think probably um, one of, if not the best wide player in League Two last season. And um, he's got so much pace, such a good counter-attacking day. I think he grabbed a few goals as well. What's interesting to me, though, is that Matt Taylor seems to be adjusting to a 3-5-2. And he's actually deployed in pre-season, Joel Randall, as a second striker alongside Nombe. Now, I can't lie, that was quite an appealing sort of proposition in some ways, the idea of Matt Gay feeding little through balls for, for Randall and, and, and Nombe to run onto with their good movement, their agility, their pace. But at the same time, um, Randall's not um, a striker by trade. So if it is going to be 3-5-2 every week, I don't necessarily see why, you know, with the, the, the type of money that you, you're likely to get from Randall, that you can't get someone in that, that can do just as well. Um, say so I, I wouldn't be too downhearted about that. Yeah, I think that that's a fair point. And, you know, we we kind of said in our own season preview that it looked like Randall was going to be pairing Nombe up front this season. Um, I think that he has the potential to make that conversion into, into a second striker. His finishing ability is, is, is excellent for a player of his um, experience and his age. Um, he's just as good with both feet. Um, and 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 yeah, I'm, I'm I was really impressed with him in front of goal last season. Obviously, naturally plays out wide, but but definitely like to drift in, and especially on the counter attack, use that pace um, to drive at defenses and and ultimately get those goals. Um, I think that it's it's more of an emotional thing with Randall, given that we haven't seen him properly. Um, but look, I I can understand why City fans are upset about this one, but but I do think that it's. <sighs> Maybe I sound resigned to it, but it's. I think it's an ev- inevitable move, um, and you know it's better to. It's always better to to sell early, I think, rather than to 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 wait a season and and end up with with no financial compensation and 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 to end up without the player either. And the perfect example for that is is what happened with Randall Williams, albeit 
it was the players' decision to, to stay on last season. Josh Key's another one that obviously we've kind of mentioned has been speculated for a move away. That that one to Sunderland in sort of a one million ish pound deal. Mm. Um, what what do you think of that one? Because I think that he um, Josh Key's definitely got the potential to to play at that level and and perhaps even beyond that as well. But obviously, you know, like Randall struggled with injuries at points last season and perhaps, you know, it's always more difficult for a defender to kind of showcase their abilities than, than it is an attacking player. Um, but, but what did you think of that one, Gav? Um, well, Sunderland, I would imagine, uh, will be quite keen to bring in a right back because I think in, in terms of their squad, they're very short in the in the fullback uh, department. But and I think he's everything that they probably look for in terms of um, in terms of that sell on value. It's something the club's maybe struggles with in previous eras when they sign players that are probably past their peak, whereas uh, Key, I think, is a long way off his ultimate peak. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes on to play in the top two divisions of, of English football. And um, I think he could play as a right wing back as well, as well as a yeah, as, as a standard right back. Um, he's got, seemed to have boundless energy. And, um, and, and yeah, I think X has been the perfect club for his, his development. Don, what did you make of that one? Um, I think, yeah, I, I'm kind of like, you just got to believe in the process at this stage. Um, they they are, this core had this breakout season last year, um, which is why we were kind of, I remember doing our preview pod last season and we were like, well, we've got this young core, um, it's going to be a rebuilding season we might be lucky mid-table, let's see where we get to. Um, but then suddenly we kind of discovered our young core was like pretty impressive. Like they were all League Two, if not above players. And it's just part of the process of being a club with a good academy that keeps bringing kids through. Like you, you can't stand in the way of them leaving. Um, both for financial reasons and also like just human being reasons. You can't stand in the in the way of these lads wanting to progress, wanting to move on, play at a higher level. Uh, you'd have hoped, you always hope that it's, we get promoted so they don't have to leave, so they can stay here to play at a better level. But, you know, the last few years have been quite cruel in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I think a million pounds, probably with a lot of tag-ons. I can see us making decent money off it in the long run. So, yeah, it just... it The the issue is, is that... Um, so, Joe Randall leaving would leave us very... We were already looking a bit um, light, um, kind of... I know in... So, if, like Gab was saying, we may be moving to... Um, a a three, a five or a three at the back and then a two up front. But um, Taylor always likes to revert to a kind of like four, five, one, four, three, three kind of thing. And we were looking, if if he kind of wanted to go back to that at any point, we were looking very, even before Randall potentially leaves, looking very light at attacking wide midfielders. Um, and... Joel Randall and even Josh Key, who's played there a few times on season, those two leaving would leave us very light um, in the, in those positions. But also Josh Key, we'd have to find a right back from somewhere. Um, Pierce Sweeney is not mobile enough anymore to play that right back role. Maybe a few seasons ago, yes, but now he's very much right centre back of a three, right centre back of a... Um, of a, of a two pairing in a four um, and our only other right fullback is Caprice who's good de decently too but we need some cover we, we definitely need some cover if, if Josh Key does leave Moving on then and thinking of the players that we've brought in this season um, Dom and I have already spoken about this but Gab who's who's impressed you most this, this season in terms of uh, incomings for, for Exeter City? In terms of incomings, um, well, I, I do think that Exeter look very strong in the goalkeeping 
position or line really because we signed Cameron Dawson from Jeff Webbs, which I think could be a brilliant signing. I don't know if either of you have looked at some clips from as an FA Cup game. I think this was in 2019 between Jeffrey Wednesday and Swansea and Dawson made a couple of excellent saves in that one against Premier League opposition. So I think that um He's sort of been a bit tough for him to establish himself at Hillsborough with the competition between the six or people like Kieran Westwood there, who's obviously been an established championship goalkeeper. And I think there's another name as well, Joe Wildsmith. Um, but and, uh, you've, you've also added Scott Brown, who played a fair number of games last season for Port Vale. I don't think he's necessarily done yet. And yet, when you, you listen to him speak, I think teams clear that Scott Brown is there to play the odd game if called upon, but mainly to tutor people like Harry Lee, who I think you've just mentioned, and in terms of someone that's um, been persuaded to sign a new deal. So you've got the PK performer like Dawson, you've got a reliable veteran in Scott Brown, and you've got an incredibly exciting young talent with huge potential in, in Harry Lee. So I think that area of the squad in particular looks very, very strong. And in terms of where where we need to strengthen, obviously let's assume well, let's let's say that Joel Randall's in the squad at the moment. Um, so so we don't need to replace him or or Josh Key. Um, but the squad as it currently is, where where do you think that that Exeter needs to strengthen? It's a good question. Um, I think I think I would bring in another striker. Um, simply because I I can't ignore the fact that Joel Randall is is likely to leave. And I think it makes sense to kind of work with that scenario. So I would say maybe a striker that can play back to goal. As you look at Ben Seymour, what his main qualities is um, running power and ability to stretch defensive lines with his pace. Same with same with Sam Nombe. Um, I think Giovanni Brown's more of a kind of technical forward. I think he's quite versatile. But maybe someone that's got a little bit of uh, a bit of a presence about him, someone that can play back to goal, maybe someone that's good at finishing. Um, you don't want to kind of get stuck into or drawn into red herrings like maybe the club did with Nicky Jose, where you thought, well, this is a guaranteed goal scorer. And it maybe didn't quite work out in the way that you'd hoped. Um, but I think maybe a little bit of a bit of nice and maybe a bit of physicality in that forward line wouldn't go amiss. I definitely think that maybe another creative option in midfield would help. And um, I suppose if you're going to play three at the back, I mean, you've got um, Sam Stubbs there, you've got Timothy Gang, I think you could drop in at centre-back. So the one option would be to bring in another creative option in midfield and then have Dieng covering Athengana and covering uh, the centre-back. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the, the kind of um, the kind of sentiments that the Exeter City fans were were kind of thinking on this season. Um, Tom, what what do you think about areas where where Matt Taylor could strengthen? It? I think no, I agree. I agree with Gab. I I think we're missing a Nicky Law type player. Um, I think that Nicky provided like just that spark of creativity in there, um, which we don't. If if Archie's you know, Archie's injured at the moment, but we need that second. We at least need a second option in there. Like our our kind of squat, the depth in midfield at the moment is is being provided by Harry Kite, who's more of a kind of box to box, covers a lot of ground kind of guy. Young, um, we just we we are missing that spark of creativity in in midfield if Archie's not there. Um, so no, I like Gab's nailed it for me there. I think I think central midfield a bit more, just just something that someone who's gonna like link the play between, um, kind of defence and, and and Matt Jay basically kind of help Matt Jay link link play. So we're not just kind of like banging banging the ball up into channels for Ben Seymour, Sam Nombe to to kind of run and. Mm. Um, that's that's what my kind of fear is that we kind of like fall back on that rather than if we don't see if we don't have anyone linking the midfield that we're going to kind of fall back on that and just kind of 
kind of start pumping balls into the channels because that's well, an the, easy option. Just to kind of add to what, what Dom said there, I think that if 3-5-2 is Matt Taylor's preferred formation, then I feel you can get away with just having the one destructive midfielder because you've got the insurance of three centre-backs. You can always ask one of them to really be aggressive and, and push out from one of the centre-back positions. And um, like an Alex Hartridge, perhaps, on the left, um, I think that would make quite a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, I, do, I don't think you need Dien Gambat and Ghana in midfield. I think you can get away with having... Gay is the sort of advanced creator. Atangana is the destructive midfielder that's the ball winner. He's physical, he's aggressive, tenacious, and then have someone that can kind of maybe collect the ball from the deep positions and uh, and link play. You'd hope that Archie Collins can do that job for parts of this season, but after his injury, you can't really rely on him. Great. Um, and then moving on, sort of the final thing to, to chat about is just about um, Matt Taylor's comment comments about the transfers this season and I mean you, you've already sort of alluded to to the money that's been available to, to Matt Taylor this season Gab um, and well, obviously a lot of that coming in from the Watkins deal and, and various other um, sell-ons and transfers that, that Exeter have managed to, to um, recoup in the last couple of years and um, Matt Taylor was was really quite bullish at the start of the season or start of the preseason around um, wanting three or four marquee signings. Lots of lots of fans maybe don't feel that that's been achieved this season, um, and perhaps we've fallen a bit short of expectations. I think that maybe if Matt Taylor hadn't made those comments, a lot of fans would be quite happy about the way that the transfer window's gone. Um, but maybe they expected a bit more. Um, I think that really the the biggest signings this season have been perhaps from the inside of the club. So Harry Lee and Sonny Cox signing on for for this season are absolutely incredible deals for the club, given sort of our our history of, of losing um, academy players to, to Premier League academies um, before they've had a chance to sign professionally. But then Archie Collins signing a one-year extension is incredible um, bit of business as well. And James Dodd signing a contract extension too. Gabriel, I mean, obviously you you think that um, the club's going in the right direction, given your prediction for, for Exeter this season. But on the transfer window overall, and maybe on Matt Taylor's comments, sort of what what kind of grade would, would you give Exeter on their, their transfer? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think you look at somebody like Jonathan Grounds, um, maybe that might not feel like the most exciting signing in the world, but as a Birmingham City fan, um, you know, he played for us uh, for a number of years in a, champ, a side that was in the top half of the championship. And uh, he wasn't sort of a universally popular, but I think from my point of view, it's a little bit underrated because he was quite sort of positionally astute uh, he picked his battles he uh, he didn't try and win battles so that he wasn't going to win he um was good at sort of defensive headers a little bit of height about him could swing in a good cross and I, I'd imagine that uh, his skill set is quite suited to playing on the left or back three I also think that maybe um there can be and I'm not necessarily saying this is exclusive at all to, to Exeter fans, but I'm a bit excited about some of the signings. Josh Coley signed from, from Maidenhead. This is a really exciting winger, someone who showed huge potential in the National League, still very young, got quick feet, got a goal-scoring threat. Matt Taylor's thinking of, thinking of using him as uh, as a right wing-back, someone that's going to attack the flank with maybe Pierce Sweeney supporting him from behind. I think that's exciting. Um, Look at Callum Rose, someone who pocketed Mo Salah supposedly in, uh, in in a League Cup game for Villa against Liverpool. I mean, this is someone who's very versatile, clearly very athletic. He's someone who can develop a lot. Sam Nombe played in the divisions above with MK and, and Luton. Very good at stretching the line, something maybe X didn't have last season. So I am um, Cameron Dawson, who played in the Championship quite a few times for Sheffield Wednesday. So... I think that it's actually a little bit harsh um, to, to say that they're underwhelming signings. I mean, Giovanni Brown as well, he might not necessarily have the best couple of years, 
But this is someone who commanded a transfer fee uh, in 2019 when he went from uh, Cambridge United to Colchester. So clearly he's a capable technician. I'm really, I'm a little bit surprised that a lot of Exeter fans aren't feeling the transfer business. I think you've made some good additions and that's why I've got your top spot. Quite a glowing, glowing reference there for, for Matt Taylor's transfer business. I guess time will tell. Um, but but Gav, I think that brings us to, to the end of this podcast. So thanks ever so much for coming on again. Really appreciate it. Um, we'll, we'll see how your prediction plays out. First is definitely optimistic for us, um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Hopefully, you're right. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, and hopefully, we'll see you again this time next year. That's my pleasure, Dan. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be on the Live Match Pod. And um, if anyone wants to catch more of myself, you can follow me on Twitter Sutton, and hopefully, catch you a lot soon. Thanks for listening to the Man in the Lion Mask podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do give us a like and subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. You can now also listen to us on the Man in the Lion Mask app, where in addition to mine and Dom's dulcet tones, you can find lots of news and opinions and hopefully some guest content too. For all the details on how to download, just head to our Twitter page at Lion Mask Pod.